So this morning, we're going to look at four gifts of the resurrection. Four gifts that flow out of the resurrection. Before we do this, I want to say something. All right, we like to say around here that we're an army, not an audience. And this is a time for us to really sit with that and ponder that for a moment. So you at home, you're an army. If you're in your car, wherever you are, maybe you're outside, you're a member in an army. You're not an audience. And so this morning, we're going to reiterate that together. I'm not here to give some kind of impressive talk. I'm simply going to open the scriptures. We're going to meditate on them together. And the point of that is that this is sustainable. Really, if we have teachers that are trying to be impressive and do these kinds of things, that is not sustainable. What is sustainable is that you at home or wherever you are can open the word of God and interact with God at any time. And so my role, other leaders, other pastors in the church, our role is to teach us how to do that more effectively. You with me on that? And so you at home get to feed on the word of God together. So we're going to look at four gifts of the resurrection this morning. And the first one is found in Romans 5. So if you want to get your Bible, Romans 5, 6 through 11 is the first gift that flows out of the resurrection of Jesus. And what we'll see in these passages that we're going to look at today is that the crucifixion and the resurrection always go together. So really, we could say these are gifts of the cross. They're gifts of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And this one is the first, and it's primary, and it's the Father's love. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says this. This is the word of God. For while we were still weak, the Apostle Paul says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, Much more surely, having been reconciled, look at this, will we be saved by his life, his resurrection life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So the first gift of the resurrection is the matchless, extravagant love of God for us. We don't deserve it, but this is the message of the cross And the resurrection, God likes us. Yes, God loves us with unconditional love, but God likes us. God puts up with us. I read this passage and I think of maybe a son or a daughter who decided to steal the car and vandalize the house and take all the ATM cards, all the credit cards, and say, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm going to go do my own thing. And after a couple of years, the father circles around and says to that young person, I love you. I want you back. Come back. Come back into the family. All that is mine is yours. That's the kind of love that's being illustrated here. 
The love that flows from the cross, from the resurrection, is mind-blowing. There's three things in here about the matchless, extravagant love of God, and then I'm going to let you meditate at home where you are, but there's three things. There's so many layers to this, but the first is found in verses 6 through 8. God's love is far greater than the greatest human love. There's no love like it. It's unstoppable. It's unconditional. A second thing that this text tells us is that God's love is seen in the cross of Christ. You can see there at verses 9 and 10, these are three key words, all right? We don't have time to go into this, but this is something, actually, I'm going to invite you to look at during the week. But what happens? We're justified by Christ's blood at verse 9. We're saved from God's wrath, also in verse 9. And we're reconciled through Christ's death at verse 10. So this is complete salvation. It is being enemies of God, spoiled brats who vandalize God's house and take the ATM cards and steal the car. And the Lord turns around and says, I love you. I'm not going to give up on you. This is the kind of love. It's interesting. I want to highlight this and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to meditate on it. This is oftentimes we, we overlook this. This passage is about the love that flows from the cross. But look at verse 10. Look down at your Bible or your phone. We've been reconciled and we will be saved by what? By his life. And so the Apostle Paul is saying here that the Father's love brings salvation and that we're saved by the life of Jesus. Yes, by his death, but by his resurrected life we experience the love and the salvation of the Father. So what I want you to do, we're going to do this with a few of the passages. I want you to take a moment here and look at this handful of verses together. And I want you to pull out a couple of phrases, a couple of what we call arrow prayers. Could be something like, Lord Jesus, we are saved by your life. So take just a minute or so and pray And if you're there and it's just you and the Lord, then pray this out loud. Take these verses here. As his army, meditate on scripture. Then I'll bring us back in a moment. Sorry to interrupt you if you're experiencing the Father's love through this. I want to 
move us on to the next gift that flows from the resurrection of Jesus. You can just hang a right in your Bible. It's at Romans 6, 1 to 7. And that gift is new victorious life. There's something that happens through the resurrection. We are given a new, a new start, a, a life of victory. The Apostle Paul says this, Romans 6, 1 to 7. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is a text we read at baptism, don't we? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. So a couple of things here, and again, I'll give you a moment to... Uh, meditate on this, but verses 3 through 7 are making it abundantly clear that we're united with Jesus in his death. So when you believe in him and you say, I'm going to be a lifelong follower of Jesus, I'm going to cling to him in faith, and I'm going to be baptized publicly to let everyone know that I am a follower of Jesus, you are buried with him, and you're baptized in the water, yes, but you're also baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're immersed in the Spirit of God. And your old self and your ways of living are left there in the waters of baptism. My friends, this is a message that no one else has. In a time like this, you and I, followers of Jesus, have been given a new life. Think about that. Take this moment right here to think, what has Jesus set you free from? He set me free from addictions. He set me free from anger, unforgiveness. Set me free from envy of other people. What has he set you from? Set you free from? He can set anyone free at any time. Have you cheated on your spouse? He can set you free from whatever led you there and restore your marriage. Are you drinking to medicate? Maybe taking pills? Other people don't realize how serious it is. He can set you free. And you know what's beautiful? He doesn't just do it once. He's done it with me over and over again. My 30 years of walking with him, he has set me free and saved me over and over again. This is the kind of Lord he is. We're united with him in his death. And then the passage goes on to say that we're united with Jesus in resurrection life. 
And this is a present reality. Verses 4 and 6 talk about it. We're no longer enslaved to sin. You can have those shackles broken. You can leave behind your old way of living, your old way of thinking, your addictions, your habits, the ghosts of your past. There is only one person who can deal with the ghosts of your past, and that is the resurrected Lord Jesus. It's also a future promise. You're united with Jesus in resurrection life now, but also in the future. We'll have a resurrection like his. So this is a great mystery. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. It's hard for us to get our minds around what the resurrection looks like. But Paul is saying here, if you want to know what it looks like, look at the Lord Jesus. It was a bodily resurrection. It was a transfiguration of who he was into the fullness of God's glory. So I want you to take a moment here, and again, just like we did with the Father's love, I want you to celebrate a new victorious life that he's given you. And friends, maybe you're listening, you've tuned in, and you need a new life. Now's the time. Easter Sunday 2020 is the time for you to receive the grace of God through faith, a new life absolutely free through faith. So take a moment here to pray something you could pray, something like, Jesus, we're freed from sin to walk with you in newness of life. So take a minute or so to pray there with the Lord or with one another. What's beautiful about this, what we're doing and what you're doing, wherever you are, is that anyone can do this. Whether you're seven or 87, you can read and pray the scriptures and have the Lord transform your mind and renew your heart, draw you in to close friendship. That's why we're doing this so that we can all grow in this, giving ourselves day in, regularly, weekly, to the Word of God. Here in a few minutes, we're going to take communion, wherever you are, so if you haven't gotten your juice or whatever you're using and your bread, you can have someone go and get that. A third gift of the resurrection is Holy Spirit power.
The very power of the resurrection flows into us and dwells us and gives us supernatural power. I want you to look at a verse. What I tried to do here was pick out a a couple of verses that we wouldn't typically think of on Easter. John 14, 12. John 14, 12. I'm going to read it and make some comments. This is a, a verse that as we move into the vineyard movement, this was a verse that was prized by John Wimber. It was one of those verses that leapt out at him that's about Holy Spirit power that flows through the resurrection. John 14, 12 says this. This is the Lord Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and in fact will do greater works. What? What's your Bible say? Mike, does yours say greater works? Greater works than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. So greater works, we're going to look at that for a moment here, but greater works are possible because Christ is going to the Father. Now, this is one of those, it almost seems too much. Borderline what? Blasphemous? Are you kidding? Greater works than Jesus. Jesus said it. These are those words in red, and he meant it. And he meant it for his disciples then, but he's also saying, whoever, the one who believes in me. So this isn't just for his immediate followers, but it's for his followers for all time. If you believe in me, you'll do greater works. (laughs) Commentators have wrestled with this. How do you make sense of it? But if you just look at the book of Acts alone, there are certain extraordinary things that happen as a result of the resurrection power of Jesus. In Acts 5, the apostle Peter, who was a quitter, who turned his back on Jesus and yet was restored through the resurrection, he ends up healing someone with his shadow. That is something that we don't read Jesus doing in the Gospels. Some of us could say, ah, well, this is a little bit dicey here. I believe that the Lord Jesus looked at those disciples and he looks at us and he says, I am going to do greater works through you. He set the bar pretty high, didn't he? But he doesn't, it's the introduction. The whole point of it is, I'm going to show you how to pray for the sick, how to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom, and then I'm going to continue it through you. Acts 9, that same apostle Peter who was a restored follower of Jesus, former denier, coward, raises Tabitha from the dead. So as Christ raised Lazarus from the dead, here you've got the apostle Peter, his follower, raising Tabitha from the dead. Now it may not have been a greater work necessarily, but In a sense, it was because this was a broken vessel through whom it was coming. Then in Acts 20, the Apostle Paul, a former blasphemer, 
former hater of Christ, persecutor of the church, filled with the resurrection power of Jesus, raises Eutychus. So we've got resurrection, we've got these extraordinary works, and we could look at extraordinary miracles that Jesus has been doing through his people for 2,000 years. All over the world, there are greater works that are happening. And I would also add to this that Jesus' mission to the Gentiles for the first hundred years was a greater work. It was something that he did through his people that he had not accomplished. Why does this happen? Go back to the verse, the latter part, verse 12 there. This happens because Jesus is going to the Father. He's basically saying, Colt preached on this several months ago, but he's saying, I'm going to the Father. The Spirit is going to be poured out, and greater works will be possible because of that. I'm going to read this to you. You can write it down and look at it later. But Acts 2.33 says this. This is the Apostle Peter preaching about Jesus being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. Let's look at this verse here and then I'm going to give you a moment to meditate. Ephesians 4, 7 through 8. Again, Holy Spirit power that flows from the resurrection of Jesus. Look at Ephesians 4, 7 through 8. I'll read it, make a quick comment, and give you a moment to meditate on it. Ephesians 4, 7 through 8, the Apostle Paul says this, But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift, the gift of his life, his death. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive, and he gave gifts to his people. The Apostle Paul is taking a psalm, Psalm 68, and he's finding a picture there of what the Messiah would do. And he's saying Christ has done this. Christ, through giving himself on the cross, broke open a dam of God's grace. And gifts were lavished on God's people. So what flows from the resurrection? Holy Spirit power. The very gifts of the Holy Spirit come as a result of the resurrection given by God through his Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's take a moment. Again, find a phrase, find an arrow prayer here. Maybe something like, Jesus, you've ascended to the Father. We receive your Spirit to do greater works. So you find a prayer there and pray it. We'll come back for the last point here.
How's it going there at home, in your car? You using these passages here to pray a little bit? It's work. The mind likes to wander, right? Or maybe you have someone in your group who is praying and others aren't. You're a little bit introverted or quiet. That's okay. These are things you can do with the Lord alone. But I encourage you, there's a certain dynamic that happens when you speak it out and do it together. The fourth and final gift of the resurrection Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 26. And I'll read it here in a moment. But the fourth gift is the transformation of creation. We're going to see here in this passage and then Revelation 21, we know how the story goes and how it ends. The Lord Jesus wins in the end and we get to be on his team. God's plan is not just to redeem human beings, but to redeem all that he's made. In the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, he looks at creation. He says, it's all good. It's beautiful. I love it. It reflects my nature. So in the end, he's going to restore and redeem all of it. Sometimes I want to tell people, you know what? God is the original ecologist. People get all worked up about various things, and I want to say that God is the one who does creation care better than anyone. It was in his heart, and you can see it in texts like the two we're going to look at, that God's intention is to save, redeem, transfigure, and transform all of it for his glory. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 26. And we'll end with communion here in a moment. But in fact, this is about his resurrection. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, all will be made alive in Christ, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and every power. For Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. There's a lot in here. But what I want us to look at on this Easter Sunday is that death came through a human being and that the destruction of death came through a human being. Adam screwed up and the second Adam came and made it right through his life, his death, his resurrection. When it says that he's the first fruits, you can look at Colossians 1.15, he is the firstborn of a whole new family. It's figurative language here. He's basically saying that there is an elder brother in the family and he's part of God's worldwide family of love. Let's end with this here. Revelation 21, 3 to 5. It's the way the whole story ends here. God's plan is this. Revelation 21, the last book of the Bible. And then you can move into communion and maybe even use this to, to pray here. Revelation 21, 3 to 5 says this. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is the Apostle John in a series of visions that he's had. And he's saying, I heard this loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals or humans. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And catch this in verse 5. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. This is the culmination of the biblical story. A Messiah was promised, Emmanuel. He, the word became flesh. He was crucified. He was resurrected from the dead. And because of that, all things will be made new. Your life can be made new right now. All things new. 